Coming up this evening, live from New York City, the Supreme Court issues a major ruling, limiting the EPA's authority to regulate power plant emissions. Democrats and Republicans are split. Consumer spending weakens in May. An economist shares his thoughts on the data and why the main figures might not be so bad. North Dakota okays a farmland purchase tied to Bill Gates. Why did it almost not go through? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. The Supreme Court issued a major ruling today. It limits the Environmental Protection Agency's power to regulate carbon emissions from existing power plants. The court ruled 6-3. to Chief Justice John Roberts said, While capping carbon dioxide emissions may be a sensible solution to the crisis of the day, the decision should be made by Congress, not the EPA. The decision will force the EPA to ask Congress for permission to regulate carbon emissions in the future. Republicans and Democrats are split over the decision. Republicans quickly applauded it, calling it a major victory for a limited government. Democrats, however, were less happy, predicting dire environmental consequences to come from it. Under the theory of man-made climate change, carbon dioxide emissions are considered the cause of global warming. The Biden administration says it has signed a new agreement with drugmaker Pfizer for 105 million doses of their COVID vaccine. This comes as the White House gears up for a fall vaccination campaign. The deal is worth over $3 billion. It includes doses for both adults and children. Also supplies for a new vaccine targeting the Omicron variant, which is still a pending approval. The CDC recently recommended everyone over six months old to get the jab. Yet surveys show many parents want to wait and get more information about the vaccines. Under the new deal, the U.S. government is set to pay over $30 per dose on average, about 50% higher than the price in its initial contract with Pfizer. The company said in May that it expects around $32 billion in COVID vaccine sales this year. That number didn't include this new deal. Pfizer is also seeking FDA approval for its COVID antiviral medication, Paxlovid. New economic data shows that inflation remains high. The Commerce Department reports the monthly PCE price index was up 6.3% for the year that ended in May. That's the same as April, but down slightly from March. However, analysts say the fact that consumer prices held steady in May indicates inflation has remained flat, despite the central bank's attempts to cool the U.S. economy. At the same time, personal spending in the U.S. edged up 0.2% month-over-month in May of 2022, the weakest gain so far this year. And if you look at inflation-adjusted personal spending, it declined by 0.4%. This is the first drop so far this year. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the new data is acclaimed economist Robert Janetsky. And with us is acclaimed economist Robert Janetsky and author of Rich Nation, Poor Nation. Robert, great to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you, Don. So let's talk about consumer spending. It accounts for two-thirds of the U.S. GDP. New data says the U.S. had the weakest gains so far this year, edged up just 0.2% month over month. Now, it doesn't bode well for a 
avoiding a recession, does it? How, how do you look at this figure? Well, I don't, I don't think it looks quite as bad at the moment as the two-tenths of a percent might suggest. Uh, I always like to look at the current month, which is the middle month of the quarter, over what it did in the previous quarter. And we're up at a, about a 7% annual rate uh, on consumer spending. So 6 7%, uh, that's still pretty good, depending upon what inflation is. And uh, it's not only consumer spending, but we also have personal incomes that are up about 7% from the first quarter. Wages and salaries are actually up the total 8% at an annual rate from the first quarter. So the May figures don't look as terrible as just the headline uh, report would suggest. So you think a uh, recession may not be looming? Uh, no, I think the odds, as a matter of fact, I've been forecasting at least a mild downturn for some time now. I think that that's the most likely thing. Uh, the question is the timing. Is, is it here now? And there are signs that it may be coming a lot sooner than I would have expected. I, my last forecast said we're probably going to be going down at the end of the year because the Fed was tightening monetary policy. And usually there are six to nine months lags. And that would put us close to the end of the year or even into next year if the downturn was because of the Fed and its tightening monetary policy. There are growing signs that we may have a downturn for a different reason, and that is shortages in the economy, shortage of labor. Just about every business that reports is complaining. So it's a, it's a, it's a very weak situation. It's not weak necessarily because of spending. Spending is still up there 7% or so. But it's weak because we're not able to produce. This is a very different type of economy than we are used to. Now, Robert, I have your newsletter here with me uh, where you talk about the economy. It says here, you say, the recession is a direct consequence of government policies. Now, what do you mean by that? Uh, it's a government problem because the market system tends to work very well if we let free markets operate. Uh, we've never had shortages in this country unless it's a war, an outright war, and we're redirecting resources uh, from one place to another to try and uh, ensure our survival. Uh, shortages only come about when government involved. That happened in the 1970s when government put price controls on and we ended up with shortages. Uh, shortages of gasoline, shortages of shells in the early 70s with the price controls. As soon as the price controls came off and the market was allowed to operate, everything was fine. Well, the government hasn't put price controls directly on the economy, uh, but it has done a similar thing indirectly through the energy policies that have uh, reallocated our resources away from fossil fuels into windmills and solar panels and things like that. Uh, the government has also made it very attractive people not to work. So I think the government's responsible there. All right, Robert Janeski, economist and author, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Don. Bye. As part of next year's budget, California lawmakers have approved a $17 billion plan aimed at providing inflation relief. It involves handing people up to $1,050 to help with inflation. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. 
California lawmakers have passed a $308 billion spending plan, and Governor Gavin Newsom could potentially sign it into law before the week ends. Inside the bill, there are things like $40 million for women who can't afford abortions, including those who live out of state, health insurance expansion for illegal immigrants, which is expected to help 700,000 people, and $17 billion in what California calls inflation relief. 23 million. Californians will benefit from receiving up to $1,050 as soon as October. That's more money in your pocket. California is the most populous state in the U.S., with a total population of 39.5 million. So this money would go to 58% of the population. That's probably three fill-ups of somebody's car these days, and that'll be gone immediately. So that's not going to do much to helping people with the quality of life and actually providing for their families. Bob Bilbrook is the CEO of Capture, a business consultancy. Bilbrook believes the handouts are the right thing to do. California has a $100 billion uh, budget surplus. That money is just sitting in a, in a government coffer, which probably giving it back to the people is actually <laughs> The, the bigger benefit, although it could, you know, increase rapid spending. Not everyone thinks giving out money is a good idea. Inflation is, it's, it's too many dollars sort of in the system, and so everything starts to just get more expensive. Eric Alexander is a financial advisor with Benchmark Income Group. Alexander says giving out money is throwing more gas on the fire. Pushing money into the economy in order to kind of stabilize things is great in the moment, but all of that money supply starts to raise prices on its own. The nearly $100 billion budget surplus came through a tax windfall, which partially resulted from a 13.3 capital gains tax. The richest 1% of Californians pay around half of the state's taxes. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. North Dakota is giving a farmland purchase tied to Bill Gates the green light. The state's Republican attorney general says it's be okay because the land is being leased back to farmers. There were concerns about the purchase because it didn't meet a state law meant to protect family farms. The law prohibits corporations or LLCs from owning farmland, but it does allow individual trusts to own the land if they lease it to farmers. Gates' firm Red River Trust paid over $13 million to buy the land from wealthy potato farmers. Gates is considered the largest private owner of farmland in the U.S. Still, he owns less than 1% of the nation's total farmland. Just in the past two months, three major companies have decided to leave Illinois, including Boeing, Caterpillar, and Citadel. Why are they leaving the state? NTD spoke with an Illinois policy expert for his perspective. For three decades, billionaire Ken Griffin and his company Citadel have played a significant role in the economic and social vibrancy of Chicago and Illinois. Citadel's departure following Boeing and Caterpillar seems to be a sign that businesses are giving up on Illinois for its deteriorating business environment. Bryce Hill, senior research analyst with the Illinois Policy Institute, shares his opinion. Some of the reasons why these companies are moving are high cost of doing business in Illinois, uh, the general unaffordability of it, and crime. And there haven't really seen seemed to be uh, many efforts to actually resolve those issues from the part of uh, political leaders. Chicago's 2022 crime rate has increased by 34 percent compared to the same period in 2021, with theft up 65 percent. Motor vehicle theft is up 40 percent, burglary is up 31 percent, and robbery is up 21 percent. The larger issue is 
you know, a lot of crime can be tied back to the lack of economic opportunity. Crime and economic op opportunity are highly correlated. Illinois has a higher unemployment rate of 4.6% versus the national average of 3.6%. In a state like Illinois, where it's often harder to find a job, for people who do find a job is slower, it's harder to uh, find financial security enough to buy a home, uh, things like this uh, really you know, strip out the economic opportunity of an area and um, can lead to higher crime. So just in the past year alone, from 2020 to 2021, uh, the city of Chicago lost 45,000 residents. Uh, those people are certainly taking businesses with them. They're taking, you know, uh, their employers or potential entrepreneurs who are leaving, their businesses who are leaving and who are pulling their employees with them. In 2021, CNBC ranked Illinois the third least business-friendly state, according to the Illinois Policy Institute. Since taking office, Governor J.B. Pritzker has passed 24 tax and fee hikes worth $5.24 billion. Of that, $650 million directly targeted businesses as they fought through a pandemic economy. These three major announcements in the past several months uh, should come as a bit of a wake-up call. That remains to be seen. We really haven't seen much of a response, and uh, the response that we have seen has maybe been, you know, to kind of brush it off. After Citadel's announcement of leaving Illinois, Pritzker issued a statement saying that the state still leads the nation in corporate relocations, with Kellogg moving its headquarters to Illinois and Illinois' support of emerging industries such as data centers, electric vehicles, and quantum computing. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. On to Wall Street. It ended lower today. The Dow fell 254 points, or 8 tenths of a percent. The S&P lost 33 points, or 9 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 149 points, or 1 and 3 tenths of a percent. It's the last day of this quarter. All three major indexes finished the month and the quarter in red. All three also posted big drops for the first half. The Dow lost 16%, the S&P fell 21%, and the Nasdaq is down 30% so far this year. Is this a sign that the Chinese yuan is chipping away at the dollar's dominance in the international trade? A major Indian company is reportedly using the Chinese yuan to buy coal from Russia. This is according to a Reuters report. Reuters cited a customs document, which said the Indian firm paid the equivalent of $25 million in Chinese yuan for the Russian cargo. The move could be significant, because first, this means India and Russia are circumventing the U.S. dollar, which has been the dominant currency used in global transactions. For China, more countries using the yuan will further Beijing's goal to internationalize the currency. Right now, it only accounts for less than 3% of global transactions. And for Russia, selling goods and being paid with yuan instead of the U.S. dollar could help it to evade the effects of Western sanctions. While it's selling coal to India, Russia is cutting natural gas supply to Europe. And the energy industry there is getting hit hard. German energy firm Uniper is in talks about a government bailout as supplies of Russian gas dwindle. Uniper says it's now discussing state guarantees, extra credit facilities, and whether Berlin should take a direct stake. Uniper is among the biggest customers for Russian energy giant Gazprom. The firm says Gazprom is delivering less than half the gas it promised. Many energy firms have been forced to make expensive purchases elsewhere. 
Meanwhile, the government is limiting how much they can increase their prices, so it's hard for them to pass on the higher costs to customers, leading many to fail. Other governments are already taking action. Spain has approved a bailout package. The Czech Republic is in talks over aid. And Hungary has new rules allowing the government to supervise energy firms. Samsung Electronics said today it has begun mass producing chips with advanced 3 nanometer technology. That makes it the first to do so globally. This as it seeks new clients to catch far bigger rival TSMC in contract chip manufacturing. Jason Albano reports. In a global first, Samsung said on Tuesday it's begun mass production of the most advanced microchip yet, beating chip-making frontrunner Taiwan's TMSC to the punch. For decades, these chips, which can be used as mobile processors and in high-performance computing, have become faster and more power-efficient as their most basic building blocks, called transistors, get smaller and the chips become more dense with parts. Currently, conventional chips use the 5-nanometer design. But Samsung said its newly developed 3-nanometer process is almost twice as power-efficient and is said to improve performance by more than 20 percent. Samsung is aiming to overtake TSMC as the world's top chip maker by 2030. But for now, the Taiwanese company, whose chips are used by Apple and Qualcomm, is far bigger, controlling about 54 percent of the global market. Samsung is a distant second with a 16.3 percent market share, according to data provider Trendforce. But Samsung is hoping to lure new customers with its new tech. The South Korean firm, however, did not name clients for its new made-to-order chips. Analysts say Samsung itself and Chinese companies are expected to be among the initial customers. But amid persistent global chip shortages, companies from automakers to appliance makers will be rushing to secure capacity. Coming up, safety tips for your summer road trip. What should you prepare when you're hitting the road? A coffee company revolutionizing the industry, offering a coffee alternative made without beans. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Interest in the news has fallen in many countries, while trust in the news has fallen all over the world. This is according to the latest edition of the annual Reuters Institute Digital News Report. It surveys 93,000 online news consumers and covers half of the world. Some noteworthy findings, traditional media like print and TV continue to decline in almost all markets. Instead of switching to online news, many are just ignoring it altogether. And there's a rise in selective avoidance. That's when people selectively ignore certain topics, saying that it puts them in a bad mood. The study finds that a significant portion of young and less educated people avoid news because it's hard to understand. Hopefully you don't have that problem with us. If you do, or any other feedback, please send us an email at business at ntd.com.
$5 for a gallon of gas doesn't seem to be stopping Americans from going on road trips this summer. But before you go, might want to check off a to-do list that'll be good for your safety and good for your wallet. NTD's Phil Zhou reports. Summer is officially here, and that means road trips and adventures for many people across the U.S. It doesn't look like those high gas prices are really deterring people. Personal finance firm Bankrate says summer driving should be back to pre-pandemic levels, if not close. But drivers beware, says Kate DeVenter, bank rate analyst and insurance agent of over 10 years. It's just the more vehicles are on the road, the greater the chance of an accident, more congested roadways. And we are also seeing that accident severity increase as well. So not only are there more accidents in the summer, but the accidents are also getting worse. Six out of the 10 deadliest driving days all occurred during summertime. That's according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Deventer says make sure your car is well-maintained before you hit the road. Making sure that your brakes are good, your tires are good, your wipers are good, you know, even something as simple as that. Uh, bad wipers could could lead to blurred vision and inclement weather. Knowing the weather for your entire trip is crucial to your safety, says Paxton Calvanese, creator of the Drive Weather app which gives weather updates for each location along your journey. If there's rain on the way, when it begins, when it ends, if there's a storm or high winds, uh, it'll show you when it's, when nighttime comes, like some people only like to drive during the daytime. Lastly, more cars could mean more tickets, more injuries, and more money to pay for your insurance, Deventer says. Vehicle repairs are costing more and medical bills are costing more. So making sure that your liability is at a sufficient level so that if the worst does happen and you do cause an accident, you have that insurance protection behind you to, to protect your finances. According to Deloitte Insights, nearly half of all Americans are planning to travel this summer. Phil Zoe, NTD News. A Seattle-based coffee company wants to revolutionize its industry, but it's probably not the company that you're thinking about. Move over, Starbucks. Here comes Atomo, which is offering a coffee alternative made without coffee beans. Instead, Otomo uses upcycled date seeds, which through a proprietary process are roasted to taste like cold brew coffee. In a taste test, the company claims their beanless cold brew beat traditional cold brew products by a margin of 2 to 1. A can of Otomo Classic Black or Ultra Smooth Cold Brew will cost between $5 and $6. It will be sold online starting July 15th. A century-old tunnel on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls is set to open to the public. It'll provide visitors with a never-before-seen view of the falls. Let's take a look. The tunnel stretches out from the Niagara Parks Power Station, which was the first major power plant at Niagara Falls. The tunnel provides visitors with a unique viewing platform of the falls. And this is a 2,200-foot-long tunnel, so the guests will take a glass enclosed elevator down 180 feet, uh, down to the bottom into the wheel pit, and then out the tunnel and into a brand new viewing platform, which extends 65 feet out into the Niagara River, and they're going to get spectacular new views of Niagara Falls. For about a century, Canada's Niagara Power Company had generated electricity at this site using its massive turbines and engineering marvels. Today, it is a unique interactive experience where visitors can learn about the history of the site. So back in 1905, uh, the first hydroelectric power plant opened on the Canadian side of the Niagara River. And this was a way of harnessing uh, something new uh, and creating something new called electricity or hydroelectricity. And it led to the industrialization of 
Southern Ontario, Western New York. Uh, and today we've done the adaptive reuse of this uh, industrial heritage site. So we've an attraction with the generator hall floor and, the, and uh, this weekend, July 1st, uh, moving forward, we've opened the tunnel, which sort of completes the, the, the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, to tell you how the whole power station worked. The site opens officially to the public on Friday, July 1st. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.